Welcome to the Swan Signal Podcast, a production of Swan Bitcoin, the best way to accumulate Bitcoin using automatic recurring buys at swanbitcoin.com. I'm Brady, head of education at Swan, and on behalf of the Swan team, welcome to the Swan Signal Podcast. Swan Signal pairs up great Bitcoiners for compelling discussions that are unique on the Bitcoin content scene. Every week, we broadcast Swan Signal live on Twitter at Swan Bitcoin, YouTube, youtube.com slash swan signal facebook and twitch and we publish the audio here on this podcast swan is as easy as it gets to accumulate bitcoin one you auto fund usd from your bank account to swan two we auto stack btc for you three you can auto withdraw that btc to your own wallet if you so choose and that's it one two three you can use one of the ref links of our guest today isaiah jackson to get started, swanbitcoin.com slash bitcoinzay, Z-A-Y, and get $10 dropped into your account after you start auto-stacking with Swan. And speaking of our referral program, we want you to join it. It's called the Swan Force. You can sign up at swanbitcoin.com slash enlist. You'll get a custom landing page with your avatar and message at the top. You earn 0.25% of every Swan plan purchase your referrals make for three years and they get $10 of BTC dropped into their SWAN accounts, everybody wins. You do not need to be in the United States to join SWAN Force. You can sign up US-based customers from anywhere in the world. We'll pay you in sats. All right. Today, we are joined by Isaiah Jackson, author of Bitcoin and Black America, and Max Kaiser, host of The Kaiser Report, and Jason Don, aka Brecky Von Bitcoin, creative director at Swan. I'm glad you found your way here. Hope you enjoy. Today, we have with us Isaiah Jackson. He's the author of Bitcoin and Black America. Oh yeah, glad to be here. Glad to uh, be on this platform. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Uh, and of course, we have the one and only Max Kaiser. He's host of the Kaiser Report. Welcome, Max. Yeah. Hey, hey everybody. Great to be here. And we're also joined by Jason Don. You'll know him better as Brecky Von Bitcoin. He's dir- creative director at Swan. Welcome, Breck. How's it going? Going well. Thanks, to ha- thanks for having me. And Max, I have to say, as usual, your sunglasses are amazing and I want them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all Max. available in the uh, Swan Merchandise Store. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> That's uh, swanbitcoin.com slash max. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, and Max, congratulations on getting your uh, handle back. Yeah, fantastic. You know, the Swan people, they're, on, they're so attuned with the with everything that's great in the universe, uh, they helped me uh, to get my original Max Kaiser Twitter handle back. So thanks so much, Swan, Team Swan. All right. That's awesome. Glad we could get that back at Max Kaiser. So uh, the at real Max Kaiser handle is now Max's alter ego, uh, but he'll be <laughs> tweeting back on Max Kaiser. All right. Um, so, all right, there's lots to talk about here. Um, let's start out with uh, talking about one of uh, Isaiah's tweets that he tweeted out a little bit ago on July, I'm sorry, June 1st. Um, and it read like this, I'm not saying Bitcoin can stop police violence, but when the smoke clears, we need an economic solution to make our community self-sufficient. 
Bitcoin has to be a part of that strategy because of censorship resistance, scarcity, and remittance payments. Isaiah, let's discuss this idea a bit deeper, uh, how Bitcoin might be able to help make a difference for Black Americans on this front. How can Bitcoin help Black America economically? Absolutely. So, um, you know, when I wrote the book and some of the work that I've done, uh, one of the things that I saw is that a lot of uh, Black Americans don't have any leverage in this economy and uh, don't have any sort of plan B if this economy goes to shit. And uh, everybody needs that plan B. And I think Bitcoin is that solution. And unfortunately, we haven't had as much traction as we should have over the years. However, that is picking up. And uh, the reason I wrote that uh, that tweet and put it out is because at a time like now, people are, you know, unemployed, 40 million unemployed, uh, money printer go burr, uh, or burr. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the Fed is just printing trillions of dollars. Uh, we, we need to exit from this, this economic system and in our community, especially so we should be at the forefront uh, because we have seen nothing that indicates that it's going to work for us in the long term. So, uh, I, I wrote that tweet because, yes, the riots, the protests, uh, getting your voice out is good. But economically, if it doesn't change, then we'll be doing the same thing next year. Absolutely, man. Max, you got to take on this front? Right. Well, you know, um, Bitcoin is unconfiscatable. You know, that's an important attribute for America's black community because uh, they, unfortunately, have had their wealth confiscated uh, time and time again. Uh, and uh, we see it, for example, in the 2008 financial crisis when the biggest loser were uh, black homeowners who had their homes uh, basically stolen by banks, you know, and uh, who were making all those fraudulent loans to begin with. And the decision was made to bail out the banks, not the people who were victims of the fraudulent loans that were made by those banks. And so the history of Black America is a history of perpetual disenfranchisement. And so Bitcoin is unconfiscatable. So that's a key attribute. You, you know, uh, it's money that once you put it into a cold wallet, you know, that's not going to be confiscated. That, that uh, I think, is that point has got to be driven home um, because the Black community lives in a hostile environment, right? This is uh, the white political system is... When it's described as a system of white supremacy, that's not incorrect. That is, that is correct. So uh, th this is uh, uh, the first time ever. Black communities got a chance to amass wealth that's unconfiscatable. To kind of like add to that, basically something that I think is also an important aspect of it is, is the, the opt-in nature of it. Like one of my biggest aha moments was when I was just writing things out and I was realizing it's like, I, I never chose to use the dollar. You know, people around the world, they didn't cho choose to use their, their national currencies. They didn't choose central banks. They didn't choose any of the uh, quantitative easing. You know, Bitcoin is a choice. You know, I choose to use Bitcoin every single day. I choose to hold it every single day. You know, whether you realize it or not, you're making a choice to, to either hold it or not to hold it. You know, if you've heard of Bitcoin, you're making a choice whether you realize it or not. And choice is power, and the ability to, to make a choice is powerful. Um, and that's part of why I think Bitcoin is so incredible, because it gives you that power. So to disenfranchised communities, take the power where you can, you know? I hear that, man. I hear that. Isaiah, in, in uh, your book, Bitcoin and Black America, in Chapter 4, it's, it seems appropriate to bring it up now. It's titled, Buck the Fanks. 
Uh, and, you know, I, I recognize that uh, Max has got the shirt on right there. That he hasn't uh, flipped the letters, though. It's just straight up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I, was trying, <laughs> I was trying to make it kid-friendly. <laughs> uh, I appreciate but, uh, that. But, uh, uh, well, yeah. Well, version, yeah, fuck the banks. Yep, there you go. Um, so, yeah, in, in that chapter, you detail instances uh, where banks have taken advantage of black Americans could you run through some of those examples? Uh, Max gave one uh, kind of broadly with the 2008 financial crisis. Banks really took mm -hmm. advantage uh, there. But I know that there's some specific examples you lay out there. How is the legacy financial system biased against black Americans in particular? Oh, yeah. So uh, the legacy financial system we see today has done numerous things. In my book, I outline a few. Uh, the biggest one being, uh, or the two biggest ones being uh, loan discrimination and redlining. Uh, these two things have taken and a massive amount of wealth out of the black community or not even allowed them to get that wealth. Uh, for those who don't know what redlining is, uh, banks basically subjected black people to live in one area that uh, was never gonna increase in property value simply because they put all of the shit nobody wants near them, nuclear power waste, they build highways straight through their neighborhood. Uh, the trucking companies, they, they sit in these areas so that property tax is never ever gonna actually go up. So the banks had a hand in doing that in the 1940s and 50s. Also, loan discrimination. A lot of people think that the problems black people have, oh, it's old. That's slavery and Jim Crow. That's back in the day. And I uh, specifically put examples from 2012 up to now. So we're talking mm -hmm. about in the last 10 years, these are the discrimination loans or, or discriminatory loans that banks have made. And they've had to pay off, uh, you know, either out of court or go to court for them. Uh, you know, one of the, the specific ones is the uh, Bank of America scandal where they put, uh, I believe it was 50,000 fake bank accounts uh, just so they could get a good bonus. And uh, a lot of people, my mom was affected by that, because, you know, because she had an old, uh, I believe, an old account with uh, Wachovia. And I'm sorry, I said Bank of America, but as well as Fargo, uh, they're all shit, but it was as well as Fargo. <laughs> she had an old account with Wachovia and they used the data from back in the 90s to you fake an account and then she got notices that her you know that she had a new credit card account and it's crazy to see because they got away with it they paid off everybody and uh you know everybody just kind of forgot about it but i wanted to outline specifically that the banks that you see every day they don't give a shit about you they're going to uh they're going to carry out their mission which is to take your money and use it as they please they don't actually have the money that they say uh we all know you know they only need 10 percent of the money that they claim they have in the bank. So all of these things that I outlined in chapter four are basically to show you that we should turn our back on banks completely and come up with a new solution. Bitcoin to me is that solution and there should be no question about it. I mean, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's a majority of black people who are like, yeah, I would rather go with the bank. Not really, they just don't have a choice. But now that they do, uh, we're presenting that to them now. Brecky, did you wanna weigh in? Uh, I think he said it, said it perfectly <laughs> right there. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, there's so in, in the chapter, there's, you know, quite a few other examples. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's undeniable uh, what has happened. Uh, and especially, you know, with these uh, very clear examples, and it goes back a lot farther than that, too, uh, through history, um, like Isaiah was talking about, uh, you know, being like when banks would not give loans to black Americans, if they were, you know, applying for loans to live in a certain part of the country, right, it used to be, you know, suburbs, things change, but that denied, you know, uh, black Americans the, the ability or the chance to invest in uh, real estate that would have gone up in value in maybe different ways, right? Uh, or to 
you know, just have other opportunities on that front. So um, I appreciate that sharing that. Uh, let's, so let's dive a little bit deeper into, you know, you, Isaiah called Bitcoin the answer, right? So let's discuss the idea that Bitcoin might be able to make a difference for black Americans. Um, you know, what specifically, like obviously we have the confiscation resistance that we talked about uh, and opting out of the banking system. Uh, what do you think we need to do? How does Bitcoin need to develop to make this a serious opt-out option like as soon as possible? Oh yeah, so I, there are a lot of companies, third-party companies who have worked to uh, in increase onboarding because when I first started, and I'm sure when Max first started, Brecky, you, uh, Brady as well, uh, Bitcoin was very much the Wild West. Uh, it was very techy, and, and you kind of had to know what you're doing. But now we have on-ramps, third parties that can uh, bring people on to exchanges like uh, uh, Swan or to other places where they can purchase Bitcoin regularly. And going forward, uh, what I would like to see uh, from the Black community is that we embrace it. And the reason we should embrace it is because for one, censorship resistance, but it solves problems that directly affect us. So in the black community, everybody is not black and American. We have a lot of Caribbean. We have a lot of uh, people from African countries, uh, Zimbabwe, Ghana, who come here and are considered, they are black, but they're not technically black American. So remittances is another thing. The exorbitant amounts with MoneyGram and Western Union, that should be gone. They're, they're just as shitty as banks get them out of here. Um, so being able to send money back home for a smaller fee is something uh, that is specific to our community, as well as having our uh, institutions, such as the Black Church, uh, collect Bitcoin for uh, investment or for donation to keep as an asset long term. So specifically, Bitcoin solves problems that we specifically have, not just on a broad level. It does. It is. We're fighting the Fed and we don't want you know money printing but it specifically solves those problems. And if we move forward from a store value to a medium of exchange, at that point, you start to see, hey, we can separate completely. And then, you know, maybe 10 years from now, a unit of account to where we have completely separated and we have, you know, this international global currency uh, moving. So I think that's, that's the process of how black people should see Bitcoin and the problems that it solves specifically. Nice. How are you using Bitcoin today? Are you using it as a medium of exchange, at least from time to time? Uh, all the time. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I've, I have about 70% of my holdings in uh, Bitcoin. Uh, and well, actually, as far as cryptocurrency, 90% of it is Bitcoin, but 70% of my money is in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I don't just talk about it. I literally live it. I've, I've bought so so much stuff with Bitcoin over the years. Some businesses have gone away. Uh, shout out to Gift.io. I used to use them a lot. Uh, but other businesses have popped up. Lolly, they give you free sats for shopping, doing what you do. Uh, fold app you can purchase from Starbucks Target I've done it a million times purchasing mm -hmm. with Bitcoin so yeah I use it all the time cheap air to buy flights uh, you know Bitcoin as a medium of exchange is used there are some things that can be fixed but I think Lightning Network as long as and and also future development will solve that if you if you think Bitcoin is done as far as development you don't know technology we have a, a long way to go so payments will get better some fees are a little bit you know more but I'm willing to accept that uh, as long as we can show that medium of exchange works. Yep. Absolutely, man. Max, what are the biggest impediments in your opinion to Bitcoin being adopted as a medium of exchange? Right. So um, where we see Bitcoin being adopted right now and uh, with great urgency would be in countries like Venezuela, Argentina, uh, countries around the world that are experiencing hyperinflation, countries that are already coming under extreme stress because banks are failing and the fiat money uh, system is failing. 
And that has always been a big driver of Bitcoin, and it always will be. Here in the United States, the black community is a subset of the overall community that's experiencing uh, extreme stress. Uh, Isaiah mentioned the loan discrimination and redlining. Uh, that's real. I mean, this got uh, also gerrymandering is another political tool used to isolate and um, victimize um, communities like the black community. And I, I call this uh, interest rate apartheid, uh, where interest rates are used to discriminate against. You know, if you're a friend of Goldman Sachs, you can borrow money at zero percent. Or if you're Jamie Dimon, uh, they'll actually pay you to borrow money. Your, negative, your borrowing costs are negative. Uh, if you're not a friend of Goldman Sachs, uh, if you are in one of these other communities that are already being uh, gerrymandered and politically discriminated against, your cost of borrowing, well, you know, right off with a credit card, that's 20%. Uh, if you get behind on a payment, now you're in a payday lending situation, that's 3,000%, 5,000%, 10,000% annual rates of return. So your ability to rise above uh, that is uh, virtually zero. So it is an apartheid system. America lives in, a, in, a, in an interest rate apartheid system. Uh, those who live on the wrong side of the wall of the Bantustan, uh, primarily the black community uh, for in, in particular, are treated uh, like uh, their human rights are being violated every single day uh, by the banks. Uh, if you don't live in that Bantustan, you live in uh, another part of the town, uh, then you get privileges that are not available to everybody else. So just to, uh, that, that's the adoption rate is driven by need. And um, that's why I, I believe this uh, Bitcoin and Black America book is so, is so important and so vital and, and why it's so popular and why it's gaining so much traction is because finally in the black community in America, there's a way to, to escape the open air prisons that are these communities maintained by these corrupt bankers. So this is really a remarkable period that we're living in. And um, I, I, I think the Bitcoin adoption rate in America may be driven principally by the black community because they're the ones that are the biggest victims of the banking industry. You know, what's, what's interesting about these use cases and something I like to highlight about Bitcoin, also sorry about the airplane noise, I just moved near an air, airport, but um, Bitcoin is what you want it to be. So for the disenfranchised communities that want to opt out, that want to create their own circular economies, they can do that, you know, but at the same time, like, if you're worried about wealth preservation, about being able to carry forward your money from generation to generation and build and, and, and do low time preference activities, um, you know, Bitcoin works for that reason too. You know, like I transact in Bitcoin. Uh, I buy things all the time using the Lightning Network. But, you know, like Isaiah, like a lot of my, my wealth is, is I'm storing in Bitcoin. Um, so I think, you know, people need to sort of accept that and accept that it'll be used in different ways. And, you know, Bitcoin adoption in America, let's say, like it, it, it will be as varied as America is. And that's a good thing. Um, that's what I got. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, one of the biggest impediments is, is tax policy. And I really hope that we can get some change on that front. Uh, it's just so onerous right now. Um, and, you know, everyone should obviously report. I just, you know, it's, I hope we see legislation change on that front. And I would really like to see some political will built up uh, to change that. 
uh, what other changes could we see politically, uh, legislatively, um, as we uh, for Bitcoin that would be pro Bitcoin, as we have seen some Bitcoiners, uh, you know, in Congress already? What do you think? Uh, what do you think, Zay? Uh, well, in my opinion, the best thing they can do is leave us the fuck alone. Like, just leave us to our own bearings. If if you think we're gonna fail, then just leave us alone and let us fail. Because we've, you know, Bitcoiners who have been here long enough have seen Bitcoin die a thousand times. We've seen the articles. We've seen politicians talk about how it's used for criminals. The best thing you can do is just leave us alone. Uh, as far as regulation, uh, Bitcoin, it, you know, itself really can't be regulated. You can regulate the on-ramps, you can regulate the exchanges, you can try and regulate some of the people, but uh, really if you leave Bitcoiners alone, we build our own economy by ourselves and we self-regulate. I think we do a good job of that, of self-regulating some of the scammers, getting them out of here, some of the people who are doing terrible stuff. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we do a pretty good job of that. I think leaving us alone is the best policy and if a politician comes out and is like, yes, Bitcoin is not a government currency, but Bitcoin is software, uh, let the people who deal with it, deal with it. And we won't have any hands on, we won't touch it. We don't tax Bitcoin. Only when you change it back to cash, our money, then we will. But if you just leave Bitcoin to itself, I think we'll, that will be the best political strategy for somebody. Hopefully somebody comes with it. Um, most people, they like it, but they still want to find a way to connect it to a bank. But, you know, best thing to do is just hands off. Max, do you have a take on this? Well, I don't see any government proposals adding anything of value to the current uh, monetary policy that is Bitcoin. It's the hardest money ever created in history. It already is has the ability to elevate the consciousness of those who are participating in it to a point where they see the current state of government as pathetic and useless. And uh, what's going to happen, in my view, is that more and more folks in the government will become Bitcoiners and will leave government. The best thing they can do is quit their job as a senator, quit their job as a congressman, uh, quit their job as a Federal uh, Reserve Bank chairman, and uh, get, get on with the revolution because they're just, uh, they, I, I think we're going to see more and more of that. You know, Bitcoin has, acts almost as a fifth column inside uh, the government right now where government um, regulators in particular, who, whose job it is to try to regulate Bitcoin, remember, they're paid in fiat money. And that fiat money is becoming more worthless every day. Uh, just like any revolution, once the cops, the regulators start to uh, realize that they're being paid in worthless fiat money, they leave, that, uh, re- they leave their jobs and they join the revolution. So, you know, look at the uh, America's uh, police force from coast to coast. They're leaving the police force because they don't want to do that job anymore because they're asked to do an impossible job to defend an impossible currency. You know, 10, 20, 30 percent of those police leaving the police force are going to be stacking sats uh, and they're going to they're going to find freedom from this nightmare. So, you know, I don't I don't it doesn't matter what the government does. It, it It's no longer relevant. Yeah, I mean, there's only really one thing I think the government could do that would be good. And I don't think it would ever happen. And that's recognizing that trying to control, trying to uh, manage the economy is a bad thing. Um, and I think we're just going to see the Fed keep trying and trying and trying until, you know, it's too late and arguably it's already too late. So we'll see. Addition by subtraction. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I hear that. And Max, I I appreciate your words. Appreciate your words, Isaiah. Uh, Completely agree uh, with you, Brecky. Uh, I want to take this moment here to play a video that not everyone may have seen yet, although it was very widely circulated over 300,000 views on Twitter. Um, This is at I am character 
uh, on Twitter posted this video uh, where he is talking about Bitcoin uh, at, a, at a protest. Let's bring it up here on the screen. Boom. And all you need is a phone to start using it. I want everyone to please start learning about a new financial system. This system is called Bitcoin. It was created for this very purpose. So the elites do not have control of the financial system anymore. With Bitcoin, they cannot turn on a printing press and give our dollars to their friends for bailing them out because they weren't being responsible. You cannot bail people out. The elites cannot bail out their friends anymore. Please learn about this system. This system is called Bitcoin. It was created for this very purpose. A great resource is a man named Andres Antonopoulos. You can look him up on YouTube. Please learn and support this system. You don't have to put all your money into it. Like my brother said earlier, you can put weekly $5, but we will no longer let the elites kill us with our own money. That is absurd. All right, again, that is uh, I am character at, I am sorry, at I am the character on Twitter. Give him a follow. Uh, p- very powerful words there. Uh, Max, you have used this, uh, this new phrase, at least it's, it was new to me from your mouth, uh, the term cantillionaires, all right? And in that, uh, in that protest speech there, uh, I am the character said that, uh, you know, we need to please start learning about this new financial system with Bitcoin. They cannot turn on a printing press and give our dollars to their friends for bailing, bailing them out. Um, of course, George Floyd was killed for the crime of counterfeiting a $20 bill. Uh, and the Fed at this time, in, you know, in a crazy comparison, absolutely ironic, is printing trillions of dollars, most of which ends up in the hands of the very rich. So Max, uh, cantillionaires, can you explain this term that you've been using? Right. Well, first of all, George Floyd was killed for allegedly passing a counterfeit $20 bill. Uh, as, as my understanding, but the uh, the, the the term cantillionaire came out of uh, my frustration at people's referencing those in the elite class as elite, right? Those who are getting this money first are described as the elites, and I thought that's a misnomer. That's a bad word to describe this group of larcenistic scoundrels. So I thought cantillionaire is a good way to describe them, you know, because it gets at the cantillion effect. Uh, which has basically been documented in economics for a long time. The money printers really uh, distribute the money through a network of their friends who use it first. Uh, A great example would be that banks use the money that is printed to buy back their own stock uh, and make the executive stock options go up in value by 1,000 or 2,000 percent. Then they go out and they buy yachts and and, uh, property on Park Avenue or expensive paintings and assets that continue to go up in value because they continue this scam of taking the money that comes off the presses of the central bank uh, to buy back their own stock, which makes them instant billionaires. Uh, And then uh, it trickles down like uh, water trickling down a stream. By the time it gets down to the end of the stream, you know, it's pretty dirty. It's useless. It loses its purchasing power. And you have this wealth and um, income gap that keeps getting wider and wider uh, as a result of it. So, the cantillionaire effect is, is becoming uh, quite uh, sharp. 
the wealth and income gap in America now is greater than it was during the robber baron period, uh, during the 1880s and 1890s when we saw the rise of the Carnegies and the Mellons and those uh, robber baron families. We have a much wider gap than, than now than we did then. And we see it on the street. So the street, you know, we call it the global insurrection against banker occupation. You know, the street protests, whether it's Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, Arab Spring, every, everywhere around the world, it's a rebellion against the cantillioners. It's, a, it's, an, it's an international global insurrection against bankers, the banker occupation. And uh, so that's, that's what I mean by cantillionaire. They're not, they shouldn't be called elites or described positively in any way. Uh, just like you would never describe a parasite that's, you know, or a flesh-eating amoeba. You wouldn't describe that as an elite amoeba or an elite virus, right? It's a disgusting flesh-eating virus that's killing you. This is how you have to understand the cantillionaires. It's a virus, there's a parasite that's eating the economy from the inside and destroying the economy, and they're incredibly dangerous and toxic. Hey, Max, question for you. Um, do you think a lot of these people are, are, are knowingly doing this or are they simply playing the system and, and you know, they're incentivized to do so and so they, they are? We know that they're knowingly doing it because whenever the market drops 5%, they beg the printers to print more. What's that all about? When James Kramer goes on you know, CNBC during the 2008 crisis and literally gets on his knees and begs and begs Ben Bernanke to print more money like, like, like um, you know, it's disgusting display of conciliaires begging their printing lords to bail them out of their losing positions. And now today, what Trump is literally, whenever the stock market goes down, he, he, he literally prostrates himself and begs uh, J Jay Powell to print more money. And he's begging them to go into negative interest rates. Okay, so we know that they understand the cause and effect. We know they do it on purpose. They know that they're ransacking the, um, in, the economy. It'd be like asking, did, you know, did Bluebeard the pirate know that he's a pirate, <laughs> right? Yeah, he knows he's a pirate. He wears a patch over his eye. He sails into town. He steals everybody money and he sings, you know, old uh, songs because he's a pirate, right? There's nobody, nobody denies he's a pirate. He's a pirate. These guys are pirates. They know they're pirates. They engage in piracy. That's their job. That's who they are. And, it's, and that, that's what Bitcoin fights back against because it's unconfiscatable. You can't take my treasure because it's unconfiscatable. It's immutable. It's uncensorable. And it gets rid of the pirates. I don't know about you guys. I could listen to Max rant for hours upon hours upon hours. <laughs> All day, and, yeah. Let it, just uh, let him go. Yeah, I love it. Even if things get darker before they get brighter, you know, I am uh, – I'm just glad we got the Max keeping us keeping us laughing here. Oh, yeah, and I want to I want to comment on what you said, Max. The robber baron era, the late 1800s. A lot of people don't realize that the number one time for black-owned businesses is now. The second biggest time was in the late 1800s, uh, before the currency got devalued by the Federal Reserve in 1913. We had Black Wall Street. You had Rosewood. You had Black Wall Street in Wilmington in Florida, and Georgia, all of these communities were self-sufficient because the currency they used, it was a circular economy. They kept it within the community. People were able to gain wealth. And then we had the Robert Barron era onto the Federal Reserve, which messed us all up. But of course, we not only got our money debased, a lot of those communities got burned down. So <laughs> literally, brick and mortar burned down as well as your money gets basically burned to the ground as well. So yes, those things have amazing effect uh, long term uh, because if those communities were able to stand 
hundred years, I'm, I'm pretty sure they would, they would have a lot more prosperous places. So glad you pointed that out, Max. Yes. Uh, these people know what they're doing. Definitely. Yeah. Isaiah, could you, uh, if you know some more about more details about like black wall street and, and the, uh, kind of communities they were just talking about, I'd love to hear more, uh, and have you share it with our listeners. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, June 19th, uh, you know, Juneteenth, which is a celebration of when slavery, actually it was a celebration of when they told the slaves they were free. It was actually two years after it was uh, passed, but Juneteenth is a celebration of that. And one of the places uh, that is focused during this time is Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, that was one of the biggest uh, communities where there were black home banks, there were, uh, you know, hospitals, small businesses, everything, a, a circular economy, like we said, they, they supported themselves, they were fine, a lot of middle class uh, people there. However, uh, because the, uh, the people across town, uh, the white people who live across town and the police were jealous, uh, they literally burned their city to the ground. They killed hundreds, uh, actually thousands, uh, men, women, and children. Uh, this was not something, you know, I, if you watch Watchmen, uh, the show, a lot of people thought that was fake. There was outrage because they thought, why would you put this? This, this would never happen in American history. It was like, no, no, this has actually happened. Uh, people got killed. And the one thing I want people to understand is that we can create a digital economy today and you can't burn down Bitcoin. So good luck with that. And as far as brick and mortar businesses, uh, you can also protect yourself a lot better today than you could back then. Uh, and in my opinion, that historical reference should be what we focus on going forward for prosper prosperity, building businesses, and then also what we have to do to protect ourselves. So that is basically Black Wall Street in a nutshell. And we're trying to bring that back now. Uh, just not Wall Street. Uh, I don't give a shit about Wall Street, but name it something else. But uh, just a, a good middle class economy with small businesses. That's how the economy works. How do you think Bitcoin might, uh, you know, allow that economy to exist in, like, in an easier way than, uh, than, you know, the fiat system that we have now? Do you think it would be like more of a fertile ground for small and kind of medium sized businesses as opposed to privileging, you know, large corporations and creating corporate monopolies? Absolutely. So the, the one thing I've proposed uh, is that you can invest in uh, small businesses using Bitcoin. Um, and one of the things holding back is regulations. But in a perfect world, if you wanted to get investment as a business and you, it's damn near impossible at a bank, but you had a good business plan and somebody had Bitcoin, literally one or two Bitcoins get your business off the ground. And what can happen is from that point, you can pay your manufacturers in Bitcoin and then they can pay who they need in Bitcoin. And then you start that circular economy. It takes time, but that is something that I want to see and being able to get investment in Bitcoin in your company. You don't have to worry. You can get it from anybody in the world. Somebody from Russia, somebody from, from Zimbabwe, somebody from you know, Canada could invest in you using Bitcoin without these regulations stopping you. And you, your business could just get started just like that. We're talking about a matter of minutes, uh, not some convoluted going through lawyers, uh, you know, all this stuff that you have to do as far as raising money. So, that's the vision I see long term, and I think that would be uh, the ultimate win. It's just regulations-wise, you're right. We, we have to jump through these minefields. Terrible. Hey, Isaiah. So we've got a question from Chase on YouTube. Shout out to you, Chase, and thank you for listening. What can the common viewer and Bitcoin holders do to, to help get others involved with this shift in the next few years? He says, I want to get involved more and help people that need it. Uh, so first, help yourself. Make sure you have Bitcoin and that you're using it regularly. And what I would do is, uh, you know, what, or what I've done is everywhere I go, I've mentioned it. Uh, even if I'm in a store that I know doesn't accept it, I just kind of mention like, oh, it would be easier if it was Bitcoin. Like I go to some places out here in L.A. 
and they're cashless. And I'm like, well, then why don't you have Bitcoin as an option? And then mm -hmm. most of them know what I'm talking about. But they're like, well, we can't do it right now because we just can't. And, you know, just talking about it is is pretty paramount because some people just want to hear another person thinking the same way they do. So just saying it out loud. I've got Uber drivers accepted, people to accept it for tips, um, you know, different restaurants. Uh, you know, just talking about it is the best way to start. And then dollar cost average using Swan, uh, which to me is the best service and keeping skin in the game. Uh, because you will be a, a, a big believer if you have money in it. Uh, you will do some sort of outreach and try to show people how to use it. Once you've used it, you can't go back. You go down the rabbit hole, you realize how great it is. That's, that's the best way to get involved. You know what else is uh, interesting to kind of add to that is, you know, I think a lot of people may get discouraged when they start trying to spread Bitcoin to people, you know, because like you'll, you'll talk to a shop owner or somebody. And granted, like you never want to be too pushy about it. But I think like, you know, don't take the world on your shoulders. You know, if you go to a bar, you go to a Starbucks, wherever, you know, you talk to somebody and mention Bitcoin and they're like, oh, it's not for me right now. That's fine. Because guess what? The next time a Bitcoiner goes in there and talks to them, it'll be the second time or the third time. And eventually they're going to pay attention. So, yep, you know, it's, it's not an individual thing. It's, it's a collective thing. Yep. Max, what do you think uh, somebody can do who really wants to help Bitcoin grow uh, and get out there more? What's the best, uh, your advice for that person? Nothing. Um, you know, the protocol genius is self-contained and uh, when we go through big price moves, it brings in a million more users and then it plateaus and then it makes another big price move. So the protocol is hacking humanity. The difficulty adjustment is hacking the human species and it finds the sweet spot every two weeks between greed and fear and it sets out parameters for the protocol and the hash rate keeps going higher and the price keeps going higher and it keeps dominating more of the global energy business, more of the global computational abilities and will pull in more fiat. So this black hole that's pulling all fiat and all energy into it, it's going to happen. And I think, you know, ironically, humans might not be around when Bitcoin hits $100,000 a coin or $400,000 a coin because we're, we have stupidly committed species-wide suicide with our stupidity. But, you know, Bitcoin doesn't need us. We need Bitcoin. And don't try to change Bitcoin. Bitcoin changes you. You know, and um, it's going to go keep going whether we're around here or not. We, it doesn't need us. It's just going to keep going because it's, um, it has, a, it, it's just basically the protocol is, is, is growing in that way. And, you know, I can talk a lot of, I can talk more about that, but there's nothing, there's nothing now that's going to stop it. Um, it's already transforming businesses, transforming people's lives all over the world. You've got what, 80 or 90 million users around the world. That number's growing pretty high. It's got 65% of the market cap in the crypto space. It's got 85% of the hash rate. It's got 90% of the volume. All those numbers are going to go to 99%, right? It's going to get 99% of everything and, and keep growing. Um, you know, it's like every money meets a messaging app, right? <laughs> those two things are like putting gas on lean on a fire. I mean, this thing is everything resisted, you know, Software has transformed everything in everyone's lives now for a few decades. The last holdout that hadn't been utterly transformed by software was money itself. In, in, in 2009, 
the, the fuse was lit, right? Money stopped being what it was for thousands of years. Then it became something different and much better and does what it's supposed to do much better. And now it's just, it's happening whether we like it or not, whether we're going to be here to enjoy it or not. I, you know, I think people just need to chill out and understand that things are going to be a lot better now and get, get on with getting along, get along to get along. You know, this whole Black Lives Matter movement is a great opportunity for race relations in America to calm the fuck down because Bitcoin is going to make everyone's life better, you know, but not if we're out in the street shooting each other. That's fucked up. But, but Max, I, I can't calm down about Bitcoin. Sorry, Zay. <laughs> I'll, I'll hand it back to you in just a second. I can't calm down about Bitcoin. It's, uh, you know, it's organically like, you know, incentivizing all of us, you know, you include all of us here included to educate, to market this thing. So yeah, I agree. It's inevitable. But, you know, Bitcoin is stuck with us Bitcoiners shouting from the rooftops as much as it can. I don't know if it'll do much good, but I, you know, I hope that it'll make a, a smoother transition. That's my hope. Zay, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to say, it always confuses me how people can be racist uh, when they are getting fucked by the Fed, just like we are. I'm like, why are we not <laughs> fighting at the same time? Because <laughs> they don't we, know it. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, what, what are you even talking about? So it, it always is funny to me to see that and then say, yeah, but you're still broke. Like, what, what, are, we, what are we even talking about here? So, yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just funny to see that so going forward. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin, I think, is not going to solve racism, but as far as changing the money, yeah, it, it'll definitely change mindset. And when we feel like we're all in this together, that's when you'll start to see people calm the fuck down, as Max so eloquently put. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I want to go back to this, to a quote from the I am the character Bitcoin speech uh, that he made. Um, he said that the legacy financial system is used to oppress us. Um, and Zay, I want to ask you, you know, what is the, what was the response to, you know, your book, before these protests came about and how has that changed since we've, you know, seen people holding up signs, uh, you know, at like advertising basically your book or recommending your book at these protests. Oh yeah. So I do want to give a shout out to Max. He, he did the first interview for the book, uh, the day it came out July 11th of last year. Um, so the reception after Max did the interview and then, you know, with Pomp, Anthony Pompliano on his podcast, the reception was great uh, when it first came out. Uh, the problem was, much like Max back in 2011, it was sort of ahead of his time. Uh, it came out during a dead period of Bitcoin. It wasn't any excitement. It wasn't, you know, all this, you know, how everybody gets all hyped up, FOMO and in on price and, and starts looking up different Bitcoin products. Uh, so it was a year before this happened, but I've had the idea for about four years now. And when it came out, the reception was great. But the reason I think it's picking up now is because of the protests. People are starting to examine, okay, what are we actually doing here? And I think Bitcoin can be one of those solutions, but it was, it was great reception before, nothing like the last couple of weeks, um, but people who read it liked it. Uh, that's all I cared about. It wasn't as many people, but all I cared about is that it stuck, that if you read it, you liked it and you were able to come up with a solution. It's a solution-based book. Uh, it's pretty short so that you can get through it and then start doing shit, uh, which is why I wrote it like that. So the reception was great before, just more people were catching on. Um, you know, like they always say, overnight success takes years. So, yeah. you know, a lot of people are like, oh, where did this book come from? And I was like, you know, it's been around. <laughs> it's been around for some time. Uh, but yeah, reception's been great. And I'm uh, just glad to see it moving forward. So at the end of the book, you talk about uh, blockchain. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, I think it's at blockchain.com. Is that right? Blockchain.co. Blockchain, .co. Black, blockchain online. Yep, .com. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, okay, right, gotcha. Okay, can you talk to us a little bit about blockchain? What are you doing with that? Oh yeah, yep. So we're still in uh, in beta testing mode right now. Uh, sort of bringing the vision about that I spoke about before: investing in businesses using Bitcoin. Uh, the regulation hurdles uh, are ridiculous. I mean, just the research we've done and and building everything is is a hurdle in the U.S. Uh, you know, we may actually think about taking it out of the country because there are some economies that need it. Uh, right now, and we can facilitate it in, in smaller countries. But uh, blockchain is a way for businesses, small businesses, to get loans in Bitcoin for their business. And it's a it's building a circular economy because when you get that loan, you have to buy supplies. It will also be uh, available to, to purchase from different people peer-to-peer -peer on an exchange. Uh, so those things are basically just trying to build a circular economy from, from scratch. And, uh, you know, marketing-wise, I'm marketing towards Black-owned businesses, but it is for everyone. Anybody can use the platform, and everybody can accept Bitcoin. So jumping to those regulation hurdles have been a thing, but blockchain will be coming this year, uh, 2020. Nice. Excited to look at that. Another practical solution. Your book is focused on practical solutions, which I really appreciate. And, uh, you know, you're uh, putting your effort and time uh, where your words are from that book, and I appreciate that, man. Um, yeah. Um, so I have a question, Isaiah, um, kind of ties into what we we're just talking about and also ties into the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's going on. You know, like how can uh, how can white people, how can privileged people and classes like how can they be allies? You know, what 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 can we do? Um, you know, here in L.A., I see tons of which I think is a good thing in general. I see tons of you know signs on houses. You know, we support you. I'm not black, but I see you, but we're with you. Um, and part of me initially was like, eh, that kind of seems like virtue signaling. But then I was like, you know what? It's better than them not being there, those signs. But, you know, you know what, what are real things that people can do? And, and one other thing I say is like, I think a good place to start is just by acknowledging these things because most people don't, you know, they don't talk about it. Um, so I oh, yeah. would love to hear your thoughts on this. Oh, yeah. So I think the first step has been achieved, acknowledging it. I think everybody can acknowledge it now. So, all right, we got that out the way. Because some people still thought black people were just talking out of their ass for years. But now at least we've acknowledged it. So if you want to go forward, the first thing is consistency. Everything every white person is doing now, keep doing it. Don't stop because, it, you know, the, the protests stop and, and people stop talking about it. Everything you're doing now, just keep doing it. Stay vigilant. Also, the money aspect of it. Uh, economically, of course, Bitcoin, I think, is a solution. But venture capitalists, uh, uh, a lot of the wealth in this country are in, is in businesses and startups that venture capitalists help fund. And 99% of venture capital money uh, goes away from the black community. Only 1% of their venture capital money goes towards black founders uh, and black co-founders and black women. So uh, one of the things I would like to see is that venture capitalists at least look at black owned businesses, at least bring them in to pitch, at least acknowledge that they exist uh, because a lot of the software that a lot of black entrepreneurs are building just needs money. It's, it's not a lack of ideas, a lack of work. Uh, venture capitalists have to take a deep look inside and think to themselves, is every great company owned by four white dudes? No, it's, that's just not the case. Uh, and being in the tech world, uh, there's a bevy of, of talented developers and businesses. They just don't get the attention. Nobody looks their way and they either have to shut down or they have to succumb to joining a company and giving them their talent, like Google or Facebook. So I think, uh, you know, money-wise, just stay cons or uh, social-wise, just stay consistent with the message. And money-wise, VCs start looking to invest in these companies. I am in no way asking any white people to just start handing black people money. Uh, I saw that bullshit in Seattle where there was every white person give a black person 
don't hand me ten dollars and like I'm some guy on the street. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just recognizing the problem. And then once you do, the investment part it comes easy because then you start realizing, oh, statistically, uh, black women founders are more successful than any other group. Like, why would I not invest in them more? So it's just it's just paying attention to the facts that have presented themselves, and the money does does help with that. You know, there's one other thing I wanted to add, um, and it ties into like the idea of acknowledging things. Um, that, and how do I say this? Basically, a long time ago, um, and for for background, I, I'm I'm Jewish by background, and for a while, I I considered myself white. Um, and then I read this article that was like basically saying that Jews should not consider themselves white and here are the reasons. And I found it incredibly interesting. And basically it was that, you know, maybe up until about the middle of this past century, most Jews were not assimilated, you know, um, they lived in their own communities. They dressed, um, you kind of knew what they looked like based on the way they dressed. Um, and then something changed where Jews decided to start assimilating, to start wearing normal clothes, like normal clothing and to basically pass themselves as white in order to gain the advantages of, you know, white privilege. And I think this is something that a lot of people don't think about, but like America is a melting pot, right? Like if you're Italian or you're Irish or you're any, any of these, these, all these different cultures and peoples that like are now lumped in the white category, like it was not always that way for a very, for, you know, only recently did these things change, you know? Um, so remember where you came from. Remember that like there are other people who are in a similar position and, you know, can't pass themselves off for privilege as easily, you know? Um, so, you know, I don't know. I just thought that was important. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whiteness is, uh, that was kind of created and, uh, and it was created with money. It wasn't mm -hmm. like a social thing. It was like, well, yeah, white people can get loans and you look white. So there we go. Italian, Russian, Jewish, it doesn't get, it doesn't matter. So it was created. Trust me. It was very fabricated because you're right. Ellis Island, it was a whole lot of immigrants that got discriminated against when they first got here in the twenties. And then all of a sudden in the forties and fifties, they started getting loans and they are part of society. That's just how shit works. And uh, it is very recent. People keep saying it's old. I, my grandmother was born in 1927. So <laughs> it's not old. Uh, people still live in that solid time. Yeah, well, in, in, in the United States, though, you have what, what I would call the racism industry, right? So the racism industry in America is huge. Uh, for example, the prison industry is driven primarily by racism. Um, we know that uh, prisons around the country do deals with local municipalities where they will take over the cost of running those prisons if the cops in that municipality guarantee occupancy. 98 to 100% occupancy of those prisons, those private prisons. And so they do things like pass laws, three strike laws. Uh, you go to prison, uh, they change the um, drug laws in certain ways. So the, the easiest uh, population to put in prison, if you have an interest rate apartheid state in, like you do in America, are the black population. So now you've got huge numbers of uh, black males in prison in America by, by par as part of this, what I would call uh, the racism industry. So how do you get past that? Well, you've got to defund the racism industry. And this is where Bitcoin could be strategic and, and, and impactful in, in that suddenly um, there's going to be a mad scramble to get into this gold rush called Bitcoin. And, uh, the industry simply moves on from, from the easy money of building prisons and arresting black people, which is incredibly profitable for 
the private prison industry, which is a publicly listed companies on America, and they pay the executives millions and millions of dollars to go arrest black people and put them in prison. That's their charter. That's their mandate. That's what shareholders demand. It's an industry. But you need something that's more competitive, that's going to make people more money. That's where Bitcoin comes in. Because if all fiat money is collapsing and all these institutions are collapsing and everyone, there's a mad rush to Bitcoin, suddenly racism is not as profitable anymore. And you've got something else to do. Uh, that's, that's the only way forward. Because as long as the culture, the economy, and the politics support this apartheid state in America, there's no, going to be no change. You know, and, and I, I just want to go a little deeper. Oh, sorry. I, want, I wanted to go a little deeper on that, uh, the prison population. Uh, as a former teacher, um, the school to prison pipeline, uh, they literally build prisons based off third grade test scores. Uh, that was one of the first things they told us as a teacher, because what they figured was that if you can't read sufficiently by the time you're in third grade, you're probably not going to be able to do it by eighth grade. You're probably going to be a criminal by high school. That's literally what they figured out. And they build prisons based off of that. And if you have an education system that's poor in these neighborhoods, you're usually going to be able to figure out who's not going to be educa educated and then maybe move on to something um, where they may, may do crime later. But yes, that is literally built on racism and they have the statistics. These people are not dumb. They have statistics and they have all of the manpower to, to carry it through and they've been doing it. So yeah. Right. There's, there's no break. There's no break between uh, slavery in America, Jim Crow laws in America and the prison industrial complex. There's no break. This is one yeah. continue continuum of, um, uh, of racism and, um, uh, attempted genocide, essentially. Okay, so that's, that's the, those are the facts. Now, what, what's going to change? Well, you've got to change the profit incentive. You've got to make it more profitable to get out of the racism business. That's the, that's the only way it's going to change. So that's where Bitcoin can be impactful because it destroys all the current institutions. It destroys the fiat money. It destroys the interest rate apartheid. So now we have a new business model, and now suddenly people are like, well, you know, racism isn't profitable for me anymore. I'm going to move on, do something else. And that's how you, that's how you get the change. You can't do it without sound money, though. You can't do it without real money, without, without Bitcoin. As long as fiat money's around, you're going to have this problem. Love the fire you guys are bringing in. This is uh, inspiring stuff. Uh, Zay, what do you... Resource, what resources do you recommend to Bitcoiners, right? Besides your book, somebody wants to dive down uh, deeper in the rabbit hole, they're, they're sold. Um, what resources did you trust when you were learning Bitcoin and what do you recommend now to new coiners? Uh, yeah, so the first uh, few books I read, um, Mastering Bitcoin from Andreas Antonopoulos. I'm pretty sure I've seen every Andre Andreas Antonopoulos video that's ever came, come out. Um, my first video introduction to Bitcoin was the RT report from Max. Um, also, making sure you read books like the Bitcoin Standard. Um, uh, let's see. It's, it's so many out there that are so good that I started with uh, building Bitcoin websites. I mean, I just, I've probably read every Bitcoin book there is. But uh, I would say those resources, as, long, as well as uh, YouTube channels uh, such as ours or others, um, you know, that literally every day or every week, tell you about the market, describe to you what to, you know, what to do updates wise. So those are some, some of them, but I would say Andre Santanopoulos is a great start. If you watch all his videos, you pretty much have a grasp on how it works. And uh, yeah, follow that up with videos from people like Max, uh, people like Sinclair Skinner from Bitmari, um, some of his message as well. So yes, it's, it's some great resources out there and I'll start there. Nice. Max, what about you, man? 
Um, well, you know, I, I, would direct, report. I, I would direct people's <laughs> attention to a brilliant 10-part series called To the Moon, uh, which was written and produced by Stacey Herbert last year. It's now online. It covers the first 10 years of Bitcoin. And it gives a it, it kind of a deep dive into the first 10 years of Bitcoin, gives you great background and uh, gets into the personalities, the technology. Uh, you know, we have on our show, Kaiser Report, of course, we've had just about anyone who's anyone in Bitcoin has been on that show uh, starting in 2011 when we, you know, uh, you know, that's been really the, the background music to the Bitcoin revolution has been the Kaiser Report, if I uh, will make that statement. Uh, and uh, so anyway, that series is a great encapsulation that Stacy, of course, everyone knows is a genius producer and director. And it's just, this is her, 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 her masterpiece. It's called To the Moon. You can find it online. <laughs> Shout out to Stacy. Love you, Stacy. <laughs> I think everybody loves Stacy. It's hard not to. Um, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, though, I haven't seen that, Max. So I, I'm going to go watch it. It's, I'm putting it to the top of my list. Um, I'm going to quickly shill uh, two books that I love. Um, Inventing Bitcoin by Jan Pritzker, our CTO. It was my favorite book before I joined Swan. I just think it's so short and to the point and gets you to really understand how Bitcoin works and why it's important um, from a really interesting kind of ground level to, you know, building perspective. Um, and then another one is Gigi's 21 Lessons. Uh, there's an audiobook version. It's really short. Uh, you just learn from a great Bitcoiner. So if you don't know about that one, go check it out. Yeah, I love 21 Lessons. It sits on my nightstand. It's one of those that I can just like, you know, flip open and read a chapter. And I love Gigi's writing style. And I should also shout out Why Buy Bitcoin by Andy Edstrom. Um, he has written a book that's like, if somebody's looking to invest in Bitcoin, like they're sold and they're ready to go, this is the book to give them uh, on like the strategies, investing strategies and getting into Bitcoin and the, you know, the case for investing in Bitcoin just to really like, underline underscore that um yeah so all right let's let's close up with a with a topic that i've been interested in lately like we've talked about how bitcoin is uh kind of poised to really like reshape the american economy hopefully improve the situation especially economically for black america um let's let's go internationally and i know zay you have a chapter uh in your book called international cooperation and i know max will have some thoughts on this as well uh you know, how do you think Bitcoin is going to reshape the geopolitical globe and like, you know, economic, uh, world economic system? Yeah, so, uh, well, one of the things I know I've noticed with the U.S. is we are spoiled. Uh, we don't think it can happen to us. Uh, we don't think our dollar can be debased because nobody really alive in the U.S. has seen, you know, the debasement of the dollar because nobody was around in 1913. So, one of the things that I've noticed internationally is that they get it instantly. It's not like you have to convince them. As soon as you say there's a money system that can combat uh, government corruption, they're all for it because they've seen government corruption. So one of the things I, I want to see going forward that we will see going forward in countries like Kenya uh, and uh, in countries like uh, South Korea, they're ahead of us, way ahead of us as far as digitally and as far as using Bitcoin. Uh, that is something that they will pick up faster and to have a circular economy, you're going to have to combat colonialism from uh, some of these European countries, but a lot of these African countries can do that with Bitcoin. And I think we'll start to see that once the money system is going, once the, the infrastructure is there. It's a, it's a lot to do, but nobody is, is relying on the government anymore in any country. So international cooperation is vital, in my opinion. 
Max, let's hear the fire, man. <laughs> well, I think the way Bitcoin's going to change geopolitics is we're going to, you know, the question is always, what if a government bans Bitcoin? What if governments ban it? What, what are we going to do? I don't think that's likely uh, at all because, first of all, they, they, they really can't. But what I see to be the more likely outcome, it would be a global hash war. So governments are going to start to accumulate Bitcoin and other governments are going to realize this is like a Sputnik moment. There's going to be a race to try to control as much Bitcoin as possible. And we already see it now with Iran. Iran has got a significant part of global hash rate right now. They, they, they've, they're not trying to come up with their own dedicated country currency. They realize that that's a fool's errand. They're going after Bitcoin. And so once that word gets out and maybe the U.S. or the Great Britain or, some, or a European country will say, wait a minute, we can't let Iran become the richest country in the world with the hardest money ever, right? We've got to get some Bitcoin. So this will start a global hash war. And this means the security of the coin goes up exponentially, which means the price goes up exponentially. This is how we get to $400,000, $500,000 a coin. This is why it is parallel to gold uh, in, in many ways. So the global hash war, I think we're going to see that break out in the next uh, six to nine months. You know, kind of as a corollary to the global hash war, we're just going to see the money printers keep going burr to fund this hash war. Right. And that just makes their fiat money, you know, less valuable, right? They, they're going to debase their fiat money to try to compete in the hash war. And of course, gold will become a huge factor. So gold is like a handmaiden to the global hash war because a few countries like China and Russia have been buying a huge number, hundreds and hundreds of tons of gold in the last 10 to 15 years. And in fact, they're in an excellent position for this global hash war because uh, they'll be like selling gold for hash power instead of fiat money. And they'll be able to buy a lot more hash power with gold than you can fiat money. It's like when gold was $140 a barrel, Russia was converting its oil into gold, right? The oil gold conversion was in Russia's favor in a huge way. And uh, now with the oil price down the way it is, they're not really suffering uh, like other countries because they accumulated a huge gold position, unlike Saudi Arabia, for example, that doesn't really have any gold to speak of uh, meaningful. So uh, now think about that in terms of hash wars and gold. Those countries with a lot of gold gives them a lot of buying power to buy hash rate. Those countries with the very, like Canada has no gold whatsoever. Great Britain sold half their gold. They have less than 300 tons now. Those countries are going to be at a huge disadvantage in a global hash war. Uh, so uh, the fiat money, of course, uh, becomes increasingly worthless. Uh, only keep money in fiat that you're willing to lose. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a question from the Telegram chat. Uh, Al's lacrosse. Shout out, Al. Um, the question is for Zay. Do you think Bitcoin faces inherent suspicion from the black community? Yes, uh, because as a financial asset, as a financial tool in the black community, uh, a lot of times uh, we have had people come into our community, tell us to invest in certain things, uh, trust them with our money, and it never works out uh, or it doesn't work out like we thought. So there is that, that sort of uh, suspicion with Bitcoin. Also, a lot of black people get their news from mainstream media. Unfortunately, they don't really have any other outlet to get it than from cable, mainstream media. So when they hear it from them, they think that that's, that's a fact, which is sort of why we've been led astray uh, and why I make the, the analogy that if you think about how black people are misrepresented in mainstream media, 
That's how Bitcoin is. And once you say that, a lot of black people are understanding like, oh yeah, that makes sense because half of the time they, you know, put us as criminals or thugs or we're doing something crazy. And it's like, that's not me. That's not my family. That's not anybody I know. Like, what, what are you talking about? And I think that's what's happened with Bitcoin in the media. And uh, yeah, going forward, I think that analogy and being able to get black people to realize that will get rid of the suspicion and get them to realize that if anything is actually worth any, if it's worth something, then the media is going to bash it or banks are going to try and bash it. And that should actually be encouraging uh, because if they're not going against it, then they don't have a problem with it and you're not fighting against them. So the fact that they are should be encouraging. The suspicion is slowly moving away because a lot of black people are just tired. They're just tired of, of everything uh, that they've been told or sold. Uh, and it, this is like a perfect storm, actually. All right. Thanks, Isaiah. I think we're about done here. Um, unless anybody else can throw in some chats and uh, in questions into the chat, um, we'll go to some closing comments. Um, Isaiah, we'll close up with you, but we'll, so we'll start with Max here to give some closing comments. Brecky, feel free to jump in as well. Uh, Max, got any uh, inspiration for us? Well, I, I love the fact that uh, Bitcoin and Black America, Isaiah's book, as he points out, you know, he, he came out in, in uh, a year ago or so. And, um, and now suddenly it's really become a hot topic and a hot book. And this is a great thing about a book is that it can stay on the shelf a, a while and then find, find an audience like that. And when I started reading all these references and seeing signs, you know, in crowds, read this book, Bitcoin and Black America, I was like, oh, my God, this is so fantastic, you know. Um, you know, and I think that's an inspiration right there. Uh, for folks, you know, people have been saying to me, I should write a book now for 10 years. I keep procrastinating. I'm like, damn it, I got to write my book now. So uh, anyway, kudos to Isaiah. This thing is a rocket ship. It's awesome. Uh, you know, uh, I think the next year, it's just going to get bigger and bigger. Thank you. Yeah, man. Appreciate that, Max. <laughs> I think you got the title for your book on your shirt. <laughs> agreed you'll have to sell it direct amazon won't won't take that <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> exactly all right we have one more question coming in from Corey. brecky you want to close in it's about ready to post up here uh, brecky do you have anything you want to close out with you're on mute <laughs> there i am um so I'll just say this. I, I agree with Max, well, something Max said earlier that, you know, this Bitcoin future is inevitable 100%. Um, but, you know, we're all doing what we do because we believe that we can hasten it. We can get there quicker. We can educate people who, who need it. Um, you know, like we don't need the, the corporate fat cats to adopt Bitcoin right now. We need people in disenfranchised communities to adopt it right now among various communities. So if you're a Bitcoiner, uh, and there are people in your lives who you haven't already bored to death with Bitcoin, you know, talk to them about it. Tell them why it's important to you um, and, you know, change some hearts and minds. Nice. All right, here's the question with Corey, uh, from Corey, and then we'll finish up with Isaiah. The question is, with Bitcoin, driverless cars, faster internet speeds, remote work, online ordering, delivery of everything, how and where will we all live in the future? <laughs> <laughs> we have Bitcoin citadels, city-states, or much more widely dispersed population spreading out into rural America. Max, what do you think? Well, the, the, the worst case scenario is what I call the casino gulag. 
So the Casino Gulag is we're all basically uh, forced to stay in our home and try to click on enough ads on the web to get a protein pill. And it's all based on uh, games of chance. And, you know, the stock market has turned into a complete farce, right? So Hertz, the car rental company, is bankrupt. They're selling stock, billions of dollars worth of stock in a bankrupt company. It's never been done before. And the Robinhood traders are trading it because it's a total disconnect between the gamification of the stock market and the economy. So you've got these Robinhood Gen Z on, on, you know, forced to stay in their cells. They can't go outside trying to make a, a buck so they can order in a pizza. So it's like, but it's with a total gambling uh, security like Hertz, which is a nonsensical nonsense gambling lottery ticket. So it's a casino gulag uh, is what I see is this dystopian nightmare coming to reality. Uh, on the positive side, um, I think that I see a big battle brewing and, uh, and, and that's a battle for energy. And the big tech giants are getting better at perpetrating the, the casino gulag. And the way that they're gonna get better at it is by co-opting artificial intelligence or AI. And this is a huge energy drain as well. So I see there's gonna be a battle between AI versus Bitcoin for who owns the dominant global energy supply. And my money is on Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is our only hope as humans to defeat AI and the technological panopticon against the perpetual casino gulag state of misery. That's my take. When's the movie coming out? <laughs> <laughs> it's playing in my mind 24-7. <laughs> I can't get out of it. I've been living in it, this movie, for years. <laughs> <laughs> A glimpse into Max mind, Max's mind. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Isaiah? Do you think, you know, how do you think Bitcoin is going to affect the way we live? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with Max. I've always said that the people that, uh, you know, for, for humans, they may not understand Bitcoin, but uh, AI does. And they will be using cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin uh, in the future. So that battle will be there energy wise. But I think in the future, what we'll see is the adoption from governments like China or Russia, maybe as a uh, as a store value. And I think we will see exponential growth simply because of that. It's only going to take one major country to say that we're backing up our currency with a hard, the hardest money there is. Uh, and then everybody's going to copy just like before. I think we'll see that. Well, I think we'll also see the movement of people from cities, because like I said, this is sort of a perfect storm because of COVID, because of rising rent prices, because of the ability to work from home. I think people will move to rural areas and that Bitcoin citadels uh, are possible, but it'll be more communities of people that are like, hey, we use Bitcoin. Uh, you know, we may use this government currency, but as a community, we use Bitcoin because we understand that it works. So I think we'll start to see that more. Uh, actually thinking of plans myself to have something like an embassy or some sort of place where, you know, you can sort of pass ideas. But yeah, I, I definitely see that in the future. And I think people are getting smart enough or smarter. So they realize that the need for this is now. Absolutely, man. And I completely agree with that. I see people, Bitcoin driving people into smaller groups, smaller communities, you know, like I, I don't really know my neighbors that well, you know, and I know a few people in my community, but they're far, they live far away from me, uh, other edges of town, et cetera. We always get together. Uh, I just see Bitcoin kind of bringing together, uh, you know, the way that we used to live in communities uh, in America, um, where we kind of, we're looking out for each other, we're more independent, right? We're more like 
have a personal responsibility. We share that responsibility with the community. If someone's suffering in your community, you come together to help them out as opposed to rely on, you know, a larger institution that's sort of separated, separated from the community, far from the community uh, to take care of them. So that's my kind of hopeful view uh, of a Bitcoin future. Um, all right. So I think we'll wrap up there. Um, I just want to say really quickly, quickly, um, swansignalpodcast.com uh, is where you can subscribe to this as a podcast. We're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash swansignal. Um, Isaiah, I'm going to give you the floor to take us out, man. Oh, yeah. I uh, just want to encourage everybody uh, who has read Bitcoin in Black America, keep pushing forward. Thank you for the support. Um, and going forward in the future, uh, only going to keep, keep the pressure on the people who have been our oppressors, the Federal Reserve, and making sure that our money uh, is valuable in the future. So Keep uh, keep buying Bitcoin, keep pushing forward, and definitely look out for the one-year anniversary, uh, July 11th of Bitcoin and Black America, second edition coming out. Thanks to Isaiah, Max, and Brecky for joining us. On Twitter, you can follow Zay at Bitcoin Zay, Bitcoin Z-A-Y, Max at Max Kaiser, that's M-A-X-K-E-I-S-E-R, and Brecky at BVBTC and myself at Citizen Bitcoin. On behalf of the SWAN team, thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the SWAN Signal podcast. You can join us live next time on Twitter at SWAN Bitcoin on YouTube at youtube.com slash SWAN Signal. You can also find us by searching SWAN Bitcoin at Facebook and Twitch. You can also join us on Telegram in the SWAN Signal Telegram chat room. We have a lively crew there. They chat during the broadcasts. You can ask questions during the broadcasts or shoot them to us before broadcast begins. We'll work in some of those. That is at t.me slash swansignal. Swansignal is a production of Swan Bitcoin at swanbitcoin.com. It's the best way to buy Bitcoin. One, you auto-fund USD from your bank account. Two, we automatically purchase Bitcoin for you. And three, you can set up automatic withdrawals to your wallet all at incredibly low fees for recurring purchases up to 80% lower than Coinbase and up to 57% lower than Cash App for automatic recurring purchases. Follow us on Twitter at SwanBitcoin. Subscribe to the podcast at swansignalpodcast.com if you are not already. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for joining us.